Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what is making news this week. The Triple Eight wildcard is officially back for the 2022 Bathurst 1000. The team has confirmed that Craig Lowndes and Triple Eight Super 2 driver Declan Fraser will share the super cheap auto-backed car for the great race. Triple Eight also confirmed the driver pairings for the Red Bull cars. Jamie Winkup will join Brock Feeney in the 88 entry, and Garth Tander will continue to partner Shane Van Gisbergen in the 97 entry. Walkinshaw Andretti United has parted ways with Nick Perkett's race engineer, Jeff Slater. The split follows a lean run of form for Perkett. Grant McPherson will take over race engineer duties on Perkett's car, while Carl Foe returns to the travelling crew to oversee the engineering group on race weekends. The covers have come off the Indigenous Round liveries for Tim Slade, Jack Smith and the Grove Racing pair in recent days. There'll be plenty of more unveilings over the next week, with teams now required to run a one-off First Nations-inspired livery for the Darwin Triple Crown. The recently elected South Australian government has budgeted $21 million for the revival of the Adelaide 500. $18 million of that is to run the event and $3 million has been set aside to buy back infrastructure that was sold under the previous government, which acts the event. And the S5000 season has been cut short. The Australian Drivers' Championship will now be decided at the Darwin Triple Crown this month rather than the Sandown Motorsport Australia Championships event in September. After Darwin, the focus will shift on getting decent grids together for the Tasman Series events at the Gold Coast 500 and the Bathurst International. There's also a third major event uh, for the Tasman Series in the works, which surely is the Adelaide 500. Joining me this week to discuss all that and much more is a teammate that always knows how many laps are left in a race, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how was your week, my friend? Oh, I'm full gas until I see that checkered flag. You know me, Andrew. Good. I oh, know. I oh, know. It's good. Uh, you definitely don't want to celebrate too early. Let's run through some of the news of the last week. The Super Cheap Auto Wildcard is back with Craig Lowndes and Declan Fraser at the wheel. I don't know, Stefan. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it has the same hype as it did last year for me, and that is absolutely nobody's fault. I mean, good on Super Cheap for making the investment. The program is really worthwhile. Craig Lowndes is Craig Lowndes, but there's just, I guess there's just not as much at stake for this lineup. I mean, last year we had Russell Ingle in this huge question mark over how he would go and if he was still up for it, which I think was answered fairly emphatically during the race. And then there was this excitement about Brock Feeney and how he would stack up as a primary driver ahead of replacing Jamie Winkup. Um, I, I love these extra entries for Bathurst. I applaud Super Cheap Auto for keeping the program going. Long may it continue, but oh, that Ingle Feeney thing is just such a hard act to follow, right? 
Man, you would be hard to please as a sponsor. If you say to your wildcard <laughs> sponsor, look, we've got Craig Lowndes, one of the all-time <laughs> legends of batters, to drive yep. your car, and you're like, nah, not exciting enough for me. <laughs> no, no I, you're right. You're right. I'm being, like, overly harsh. It just, like I say, I think they nailed the driver lineup too hard the first time around, and it just it just doesn't quite feel like it's it's as exciting as it was last year. Anyway, let's have a listen to what Craig and Declan had to say at the launch event on Sunday in Brisbane. Uh, I think the car looks fantastic. This is the livery that we're going to be used for testing, so more still to come. But really, it's great to finally get the message and this announcement out there that both Declan and I now can really get our heads down, really focus on making this car fast. Yeah, it's uh, definitely weight off my shoulders. Had a lot of people speculating and a lot of friends and family calling, and it feels a bit, bit weird to lie to them a little bit, but to finally get it out there, a lot of weight off the shoulders, and to announce it, we're driving a super cheap auto and lounge here at the Bathurst 1000. It's definitely a cool feeling. Well, don't tell Declan, but my expectation is to be on the podium somewhere, and, and it really, for me, knowing the the race, knowing what it needs to to go from the start to finish, knowing what you need to do physically, mentally. Uh, the attrition rate happens, we know that. Um, and for me, it's just to make sure that Declan's comfortable, he's happy, and for him to enjoy it and do what he does best, which is driving a race car. Uh, this is a great opportunity for Declan Fraser. He got the nod over Triple uh, Eight Super 2 teammate Cameron Hill. We sort of always felt it was between those two guys. Do you think we could still see Hill on the great race grid this year? Yeah, well, he tested with Premier Racing last week at Queensland Raceway along with Tyler Everingham and Harry Jones. So they put mm-hmm. a few kids through through those cars. So it looks like Cameron's at least in the mix there. I mean, Maddie Cook recently joined Premier as team principal, and prior to that he was running Triple Eight Super 2 programs. So he um, clearly knows what Cameron is, Cameron is capable of. Uh, it's pretty early, clearly, in his Super 2 journey. He's only a couple of rounds in but there's every indication that he's going to be a, an absolute star. So it'd be, it'd be great to see him get the chance at Premier. Yeah, he really came into this season with just no supercars experience as well. I think the first time, the pre-season test um, was the first time that he actually drove a supercar. So, um, yeah, he's going pretty well, and it would be good to see him on the great race grid. Um, let's have a chat about Walkinshaw and Andretti United. It's always felt like the most engineering-heavy team in the supercars pit lane, uh, it's lightened that engineer load a little bit by parting ways with Jeff Slater, who was running Nick Perkat's car. I guess it's not overly surprising news given Perkat's recent form, particularly in qualifying. You know, we know Nick is a quality driver, so multiple rear of grids is a pretty clear sign that something ain't working. Um, I do want to give WAU a golden star for effort for trying to use the limits on personnel at the track that we've had since COVID to explain uh, Slater's departure. I get what they would sort of saying that, you know, you're limited on who you can have at the track, so you have to make sure you've got your best people on the ground, but none of those rules have changed since Slater was hired, you know, for this season. So it's it's clearly a change in direction for the team and hard to see it as anything but performance-related. Stefan, is that a fair thing to say, do you think? And, and is this the right move after what's been, you know, a, a, a pretty disastrous run of form for, for Nick Perkett? Yeah, I mean, clearly they've decided something has to change there. It's kind of hard to say from the outside that this is exactly what it needs, but I'm certainly surprised by it, like so early Mm. in the season. And an engineer like Jeff, who's so highly respected, both in supercars and internationally with what he's done uh, in the USA in particular. So, yeah, it it sort of appears to be a bit of a 
last one in, first one out kind of scenario, yeah. and it's probably not helped Jeff that he's Gold Coast based as well, um, and they want Carl Foe, their technical director, there at the races. So, yeah, I mean, they they chopped and changed race engineers on car two in uh, both of the last two seasons. I think Walking Shorts. Yeah. It's just such a fascinating the team, the way it sort of lurches from success to to dramatic change so quickly. It is, and I mean, it's just been so hard to get a read on on where they're at, particularly when you look at Winton. Perth, you know, they just clearly struggled, but Winton was, it was so side of the garage dependent, and I guess that's maybe factored into some of the decisions that have been made. All right, Stefan, I want to introduce a new segment now, and it's called How Stefan Bartholomeus Changed Australian Motor Racing This Week. Now, it appears we have some listeners that are pretty influential in S5000 circles because no sooner had you suggested that that series needs to focus on big-ticket events and give the Sydney Motorsport Parks and the Sandowns of the world a miss. That's exactly what they've gone and done. I mean, you know, obviously you think dropping Sandown is a good idea for S5000 given you raised that exact point on the pod last week. Yeah, well, you'd also uh, questioned the uh, the gold star status, and then uh, the next morning I see in my inbox a uh, gold star to end early, and I was like, "Whoa, um, this is <laughs> this has gone both go. ways." But um, yeah, like uh, clearly they uh, they've got a pretty good lineup of events there with Gold Coast, um, Bathurst International, and then seemingly Adelaide is the third one that they're touting for the Tasman series. Not quite locked in yet, but that would make logical sense. So if they can't get sponsors uh, to fill the cars and uh, for those for those events, then, yeah, they may as well pack it up and send it overseas like they've sort of threatened to. As a South Aussie, surely some big open wheelers around the parkland circuit there would get your juices flowing. Yeah, perfect for it, like we talked about last week. It's... Um, it's something that uh, adds something different to, to a support card, so uh, I reckon they need to lock that one in. Well, we're now in June, Stefan. The year is racing by, so I thought maybe we should have a bit of a chat about the supercars' silly season. I don't think it's going to be quite as crazy as what we saw last year, but there's there's a few interesting theories doing the rounds of the paddock, and there's some burning questions beginning to emerge. Um, let's have a bit of a run through the field, team by team, and sort of see what we know and how things are shaping up for 2023. We'll go in current team's championship order. Uh, probably not much to, to talk about at Triple Eight. Shane Van Gisberg and Brock Feeney are locked in there for next season. Dick Johnson Racing, however, that's a very interesting one at the moment. Um, that team is the cagiest in supercars about contract lengths, um, but the general understanding is that Anton Di Pasquale will continue, but there's no guarantee Will Davison will be offered a new deal, which it, it kind of feels like a weird thing to say given just how good a form Davo is in at the moment. My sources have been telling me that, you know, there's a that, that, that he is very, very likely to be offered a new contract. It definitely could happen. I'm not saying he's definitely out there by any stretch of the imagination. He's probably the favourite to stay in that seat for next season, but apparently Will Brown is in the frame as well. I guess it's a bit of a it's almost a bit of a dilemma for the team. I mean, you've got Davo, who is in this sparkling form, and it seems so obvious to continue with him, but he's also a lot closer to the end of his career than the start of it. So if the opportunity is there to grab someone like Brown, is that an opportunity that you really want to waste? Or do you just have to go and say, right, this is the time we can get this guy, let's stick him in the car? Stefan, where do you sit on the Davo v. Will Brown debate? Yeah, it's a genuinely very tricky one, isn't it? And I guess... Triple Eight have really been smart in the way they've managed their change of drivers 
over the journey in terms of having uh, a younger guy come in when when the other one's established and sort of turning it over almost generationally. Um, so you look at where DJR are at now and Anton is is there, but he's not quite made that step to be a regular winner yet. So I'm not sure whether it's whether it is time for them to dip into that into that even younger driver pool and go for a Will Brown type, or whether Davo, I mean, especially based on the results that he's had uh, this year, whether he does deserve another year. So as you say, it wouldn't be surprised for him to stay. I think yeah. if if they are going shopping and they are seriously chasing Will Brown, then there's there's plenty of questions as well to to be asking on on Will Brown's side of the team. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've come off this big spectacular era with Scotty McLaughlin and DJR Team Penske, and now it's sort of settling back into this new normal, whatever that is. So yeah, if, if I was someone like Will, I'd I'd want to be knowing a bit more about the roadmap for the team, things like Ludo Lacroix's commitment there, what the team mm-hmm. ownership structure is going to look like going forward. There's yeah. a few there's a few question marks that doesn't necessarily make this the slam dunk destination for any driver, I don't think. Yeah, it's not it's certainly not the same as it was, like you say, a few years ago. And and those question marks about the ownership and that, I mean, there is legitimately, you know, plenty of talk out there about, you know, potential buy-ins and that sort of stuff and there being stakes up for grabs in that team. So yeah, I, I certainly agree that you would if you're Will Brown, you know, he's got kind of a fairly safe home where he is at Erebus Motorsport. It's not to say that, you know, that there isn't a step up to be made by going to DJR, but you would certainly want to know exactly how that team's going to look in the coming years before you would um, you'd make that commitment. Tickford Racing next. All four drivers have multi-year agreements that cover 2023, so it seems pretty straightforward, but we have seen instances in the past with that team where it's not always that straightforward with contracts. Um, Stefan, would you be overly surprised if, if Tickford – look to maybe slot Zach Best in, in there somewhere next year in a main game seat? And if so, who out of the current drivers should be looking over their shoulders? I think for sure Zach's pushing pretty hard for for a promotion there. I mean, when you look at his his pathway, it's his third year in Super 2 this year and it's going to be second year of being a Bathurst co-driver. Um, he's doing two wild cards as well and has some backing behind him. So all of those elements point to him uh, pushing pretty hard for a main game seat next year. Is there a seat for him? Yeah, as you say, theoretically they're all locked in, but yeah, without a full-time main uh, backer on that James Courtney car, you've always got to mm. put a question mark there as to whether that uh, that continues with them doing round-to-round deals at the moment. And look, I, I don't envy... Uh, those guys at Tickford, you know, like they're a big team trying to keep 55 people or whatever the exact number is at the moment employed in this game isn't isn't easy. And, you know, they've traditionally had to stitch four sponsorship deals together for those cars. But when you're then also chasing a rolling sponsorship model on one, uh, that's, yep. uh, that's bloody hard work. But at the same time, JC's in good form and they really need him. They need someone pushing camp. And I don't yep, really sure. reckon that a first-year Zach Best would uh, – be able to be producing what James is at the moment. No, absolutely. I, I really feel like at some point that team is going to have a fight on its hands to keep Cam Waters. I mean, if you look at, say, the Groves, who are spending money in all the right areas, they could at some point see Waters as the guy that they need to go and hire if they want to take on Triple Eight and Shane Van Gisbergen regularly. So that's not necessarily a conversation 
for next year, particularly given the fact that he does have a deal that covers next year. But I do feel like, you know, at some point, if that if that teams rise, for example, or you know, there's, there, we don't know what's going to happen with the Premier. There's there is investment in the category at the moment, and I think at some point Tickford's going to have a fight to keep a guy that's really starting to prove to be the real deal, like Cam Waters, um, in one of their seats. Let's have a chat about Grove Racing for 2023. Um, David Reynolds, well, both drivers are basically out of contract. Um, David Reynolds feels like a fairly safe bet to continue, especially based on how close he is with the team's uh, title sponsor. Young Kiwi Matt Payne is expected to replace Lee Holdsworth in the number 10 entries. Stefan, do you agree that that's the way the wind is blowing in Brayside or, or, or could the Groves spring a surprise for next season? Yeah, I think they've, they've telegraphed this pretty early, haven't they? Obviously, they tried to get Matt Payne in for this year full-time, but he couldn't get a super licence, so they went with Lee Holdsworth as a pretty clear one-year stopgap kind of measure. Yes, David Reynolds is out of contract, but surely that's uh, that's going to work itself out and he'll still be there. So, yeah, I mean, Matt Payne, you've got to say, he's doing the job at, in Super 2 at the moment. He's had a good yep. start to the year and he's, he's leading the points. It's it's interesting that he's doing so much racing overseas as well, you know, mm. LMP2 cars, GT3, all of that. It's not cheap to be doing that much racing, but clearly it's getting him a lot of experience in a short space of time. So it's going to be exciting to see how he goes uh, next year, but also at Bathurst this year. Yeah, I think he needed this year. Like, I think it was a it was actually a really smart decision to go about it the way they're going about it. But you can certainly see in Super Two that he's starting to he's starting to really live up to that potential, and um, and he looks like he definitely could be the real deal. Uh, welcome to Andretti United is locked in with Moston Perkaf for next season. Erebus Motorsport. Well, I guess that comes down to some extent to what DJR decides to do with the seventeen and whether they that they are making a proper play for Will Brown. Um, and, you know, what Will Brown then wants to do, as, as we touched on, um, Barry Ryan basically admitted early in the year that both his drivers were up for grabs um, and talked about how DJR might be sniffing around for them. Um, you would think that, you know, Erebus would be pretty happy to continue with, you know, what are effectively homegrown talents for them as well, if they can. Uh, what are your thoughts on Erebus and, and, and where they're at with drivers? Yeah, their ideal scenario is absolutely status quo. Like Barry Ryan's been pretty pretty open and out there early with that. Um, Brody Kostecki's clearly very entrenched there, so it'd be an absolute shock for him to move anywhere else. And uh, Will Brown is the big question. Clearly, it hasn't been all smooth sailing in that side of the garage this year. Yep. I mean, they, they were on such a high at the end of last year. And then you look at, look at this year and... Will was just nowhere in qualifying at Simmons and AGP. Like I think his average across those races for qualifying was like 18th or 19th. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it dramatically picked back up again in for Perth and Winton where he's just qualified it in the top 10 every time. So the team's been a bit cagey about all that, but surely yep. that car was carrying an issue across those couple of rounds. Like the driver doesn't just forget how to drive. So no. yeah, that's... That's been a challenge for him, but anyway, he's back to where he should be and that's probably only going to help his stocks and uh, interest from other teams, I'd suggest. Absolutely. Team 18 is another very interesting case for next year. We believe Scott Pye has an ongoing agreement, but Mark Winterbottom doesn't. Uh, When he did his last deal... You know, it was to the end of this season and he said that, you know, the, the timing of the deal was basically framed around his desire to race Gen 3 cars and that was meant to be this year. 
Um, and obviously, as we all know, it hasn't turned out to be this year. So, you know, Frosty has, has made it fairly clear publicly that he wants to continue next year, but there is no deal in place yet. Stefan, is this a simple case of the ball being in, in Irwin's court as the major backer of that car? Uh, let's be honest, there's, there's commercial considerations for, for every seat, really. You've got to keep the sponsor happy with the driver choice, but for sure in this in this part of the field, that um, that almost has to come first to uh, to make sure the car's funded. Um, if you look at this situation, like rarely does a team have so little success, to be honest, um, and have a stable lineup for like what would it be four years yeah. in a row if they kept um, Scott Pye and Mark Winterbottom next year. So usually it's either commercial realities or just the competitive pressure of the industry that drives change one way or the other. So, yeah, there's there's a bit to play out here, even though uh, both parties are sort of making uh, making some early noises that they'd like it to continue. Yeah, that's an interesting point about, you know, the sort of where the team sits in the competitive landscape and, and, and the fact they have had so much uh, stability. I guess the other thing you look at, you know, um, you talked about Tickford and the rolling sponsorship thing. That's sort of the situation they're in with. Scott Pye at the moment, and you really need to avoid having that on two. Trying to do that with two cars would be immensely difficult for uh, for that team. So I guess there is a fair bit of importance in making sure that the the backer, the permanent backer they've got, continues to be a permanent backer beyond this season. Andre Heimgartner is on a multi-year deal at Brad Jones Racing, and I guess the rest of the seats there hinge on the commercial arrangements at well, and at least a couple of them look pretty solid. Uh, both Jack LeBrock and Todd Hazelwood signed multi-year deals with Matt Stone Racing last year, so we're not anticipating much change there. We'll skip ahead slightly to Blanchard Racing Team. Tim Slade is a good fit in what looks to be a pretty happy working environment there at BRT. So unless um, unless crew member Taz Douglas starts undermining him from the inside to make a glorious comeback, I think uh, we can expect Timmy Slade to continue there. Premier Racing... That's an interesting one, Stefan. I mean, would you anticipate at least some level of change there as that team continues its development from, you know, the ashes of Team Sydney, which wasn't all that successful and, and you know, driven by Peter Zibris and his investment looks to move up the grid? Absolutely. They're probably the uh, the dark horse in this whole silly season mix. Um, clearly, the, the team boss, uh, Peter Zibris, is – very ambitious. He wants to get this thing to the front as soon as possible. And this year they've started from a very low base, basically started from scratch, and, and they're building the team up. And they'll, uh, like everyone, have new equipment next year with Gen 3. But what they're going to need as well is is the drivers to uh, really take that next step and capitalise on all the work that gets done this year. So, yeah, we spoke about them before testing co-drivers um, for Bathurst this year, but um, Zane Goddard also drove on that day uh, out mm-hmm. at Ipswich, even though he's contracted to Tickford for Bathurst. So yep. clearly that's an audition for 2023, if not sooner. I mean, it clearly puts their current drivers on notice, doesn't it, when uh, yep. when there's someone else uh, being parachuted into the car on a test day. So, yeah, that what they need is a driver they can they can build this team around someone who's fast, someone who knows how a good team works and yep. motivates staff, both current and, you know, attracts attracts good people as well. So they're absolutely a player in this silly season, but who they who they target we're sort of yet to see. I guess, you know, you start to look at some of the established talent that could potentially end up on the market. We talked about Will Davison. We talked about Mark Winterbottom. So, 
you know, there is there is potentially people out there that, that could fit the bill to try and help that team take the next step. Maybe not the front, the absolute front-running step, which again comes back to, I guess, what I was saying about Cam Waters and the role he could play in future years, but certainly very, very interesting. Let's delve into some international news now. There's been a trio of tragedies at the Isle of Man TT. Welsh rider Mark Perslow was killed in practice last week before sidecar passenger Olivier Laverell died in a crash on Saturday. Then on Monday, Northern Irish rider Davey Morgan was killed during the Supersport race. Very sad news. In much more welcome news, Will Power came from 16th on the grid to win the Detroit Grand Prix. It was Chevrolet's 100th win in the 2.2-litre era of IndyCar racing, and he held off Alex Rossi to score the victory. Scott Dixon was third, so it was a good day for the Antipodeans, although not so much for Scott McLaughlin, who finished 19th after a trip down the Turn 3 runoff area on lap 18. Speaking of fine Antipodean efforts, Mitch Evans beat Jean-Éric Verne in a thrilling Jakarta E-Prix. There were some bizarre scenes at the Catalan Grand Prix uh, when Aleish Espargaro thought he'd finished second and started to celebrate, only to realise it was the penultimate lap of the race, not the last lap. Uh, Fabio Quartararo was already well down the road on his way to victory at that point. Um, Espargaro dropped to fifth after realising his embarrassing mistake. Jorge Martin took over second place and Johan Zarco was third. Remy Gardner was 11th and Jack Miller 14th after a failed gamble on hard tyres. Joey Logano beat Kyle Busch in overtime to win the inaugural NASCAR Cup Series race at Gateway. Ott Tannock took a convincing win at the Rally Sardinia, which was Hyundai's first victory of the Rally 1 era. M Sports' Craig Breen was second, and Danny Sordo made it a double podium for Hyundai in third. Jose Maria Lopez topped the Le Mans test for Toyota ahead of the 24 hours next weekend. And BMW has pulled the covers off its Dallara LMP2-based LMDH prototype that were raised in the IMSA series in 2023. Okay, Castrol mailbag time. Uh, Simon Ripper asked if supercars should incentivize teams to run wildcards at Bathurst to help increase the size of the grid. Stefan, you made your thoughts on additional cars at the Great Race very well known last week. I'm guessing you'd like to see the barriers come down for more wildcards. Yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, ideally, yes, but you and I are pretty good at spending other people's money, aren't we, on this, uh, on this podcast? Uh-huh. So um, it's yep. easy to say. I mean, the biggest thing, really, the biggest barrier is the cost of running these cars. It's a very expensive race to do, as you know. Uh, you know, it's a couple of hundred grand exercise to do it properly. Yeah. And I believe the entry fee You say, alone- as I know, like I've run a wildcard at Bathurst. Let me clarify that I've never done that. Well, surely you've at least been in talks <laughs> after that return to Formula Ford racing. But, um, yeah, I think like about 35 grand of that is uh, is actually the entry fee alone, um, yeah. which, you know, includes your tyres and fuel and, and all that stuff. So whether they can cut slightly better deals for wildcards on some of that, I'm not sure. But they, they have tried a few things over the years to get more wildcards. You know, the Super 2 Bathurst round being non, a non-points race for a couple of years but um it just comes back to cost versus the the exposure that a sponsor can get out of it and i think one thing that i would say is that supercars we talk about whether they should incentivize or what they shouldn't be doing is actively 
hurting the commercial element of a wildcard entry that's already up. And this was a hot topic last year with the super cheap car not getting much of a run in the yeah. supercars produced television coverage. But it's mm-hmm. also, you know, an issue with supercars digital platforms as well. Like you look at their coverage of the big announcement on the weekend and they use Red Bull era photos, um, even for Declan Fraser and, and things like that where the super cheap images were distributed to all the media. So to me, that's a little bit short-sighted to try to protect their own commercial partners that um, they're not giving a fair run to uh, the companies that are actually spending the money to put cars on the grid. Yeah, and that's that's a very good point. And, you know, coming back to the, the, the discussion we had at the top of the show where I was talking about not necessarily feeling the hype of the, of the wild card, like just to make the point again, it is an incredible investment from Super Cheap Order, and it's amazing they do it. And I really hope it does continue because there is a lot of um, opportunity for for that entry to bring a lot of value to young drivers. You know, the concept is really good, um, and you know, it, it's it it can become a very important part of the race, particularly with Craig Lowndes as the, as the spearhead driver. I think you know what you're saying is 100% right. The cost is at some point something that you can't do everything about. You can't make it free to go motor racing. You know, they just need to make sure that there is as many barriers down as possible. You know, the best incentive for the people that do have the means to run a wild card um, is to make it as easy as possible for them to run a wild card. So, you know, we've talked about before a sensible license system, making sure that, you know, you're not saying to drivers, well, you can't come and race because you haven't spent the time and money in the supercar system already and all that sort of stuff. I think that that that's the best place to start. Just make it as easy as possible for the people that can afford to do it. Yeah. All right. Let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. I'm going to give mine to Will Power uh, this week, Stefan. It's always nice to see Will enjoying some success in IndyCar and a nice little comeback from a tough Indy 500. He's leading the series now, which is really cool as well. So he is my Star of the Week. Who is yours? Well, that's certainly a very good one, Andrew. That was a great drive from Will on the weekend. But you know I'm a sucker for a nice gesture, something small. So my Star of the Week this week is Carmelo Espeleta, the longtime mm-hmm. boss of MotoGP owner Dorna. And mm-hmm. uh, after Aleish Espargaro uh, made that embarrassing gaffe on Sunday celebrating a lap early, Espeleta made a beeline for that Aprilia garage and uh, he was one of the first in there to stop and console Aleish and offer a big hug and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, the team like started clapping like quite madly, which was kind of odd at that point. But uh, regardless, it was a nice gesture from the big boss and uh, gets my star of the week. I do love your your left field stars of the week, Stefan. It's a it's quite a skill you have to dig up these uh, these little nuggets. It's um it's a wonderful thing. Needs a feel feel good ending to the show, Andrew. Well, that's that's what we should always go we should always go for. Speaking of the ending, that is it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast and we'll be back next week with more Castro Motorsport news. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining 
fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.